This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Oh, we'll let this breathe a little bit. Let this play out a little bit. This is a classic. Another great choice by our outstanding executive producer, Danny Bailey. I'm Sandy Clough. This is Sandy and Sean. Mile High Sports Radio. Sean Drotar, of course, is in Las Vegas. Now, I I don't guess that Sean was among the invitees to the commissioner's press conference. Yes, the commissioner's press conference, which used to be on Friday, in recent years has been on a Wednesday, has now been moved to Monday. And you are welcome only if you are formally invited. I'm guessing that Sean was not invited. So we'll just have to wait for those who were invited to tell us whether the commissioner had any Thing meaningful to say. You'll probably, believe it or not, get more stuff out of the teams tonight at Allegiant Field than you get out of the commissioner, who for some reason does not want to spend one hour of his time this week or at any time this year, apparently, answering questions about concussion settlements that have apparently gone wrong, at least according to some of the former players who've been complaining about delays or denials of funds that were thought to be a part of the lawsuit settlement. Um, Questions about officiating, which is pretty much an annual issue in the National Football League. Who knows? Maybe those questions will get asked anyway. But uh, Danny is uh, here, and we are always happy about that. You can listen to us, of course, on 98.1 FM, 107.5 HD3, via milehighsports.com, either slash watch or slash listen. Uh, The Mile High Sports app is available as well. And our caller text number is 303-831-1340 if you want to... uh, Uh, jump in. Uh, Interesting quote I came across today as we get set for, uh, though it really isn't the second half of the NHL season, it is the post-All-Star break uh, portion of uh, the National Hockey League season. And uh, there's an interesting quote uh, today from Sidney Crosby. Of course, the Avalanche have already uh, made an addition in J.P. Parise. We'll talk uh, more about that in just a moment. Uh, but that wasn't a trade. And the, the Parise was out there as a free agent, had not been signed at the age of 39. Uh, but there have been some uh, deals, uh, particularly involving centers who at one time or another were linked during the first half of the season of the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, we speak, of course, of... Uh, Elias Lindholm of the Calgary Flames, now uh, having been traded to Vancouver, and Sean Monahan of the Montreal Canadiens, now having been traded to uh, the Winnipeg Jets. Clearly, Vancouver and Winnipeg, who are the two leading point percentage teams in the Western Conference of the National Hockey League, are uh, going for everything this year. 
although the other teams involved in those deals were thought to have made pretty good deals. Uh, Montreal uh, getting high marks uh, for uh, the deal they made, and even Calgary getting uh, uh, graded pretty favorably for uh, making uh, the deal involving uh, Lindholm. Uh, the MVP race is definitely on. Uh, Connor McDavid's Edmonton Oilers are on a 16-game winning streak, but the best individual performer through roughly the first 50 games of the season has been Nathan McKinnon of the Colorado Avalanche. But uh, though the Avalanche played a fairly heavy schedule prior to the All-Star break, 49 games, uh, I believe there are only two or three teams who have played as many as 50 games in the season so far. Uh, take a quick peek here. Nashville's played 51 in the Central Division. Chicago's played 50. Uh, Vegas has played 50. And Seattle has played 50. Anaheim's played 50. And San Jose's played 51 in the Pacific. And back east, uh, Tampa Bay and Detroit have played 50. And Philadelphia has played 50. Uh, Columbus has played 50. Uh, so not not a lot of teams have played more than the 49 games the Avalanche have played. So their schedule isn't as heavy. But Crosby was talking about uh, maybe using, as an example, his own team, which has 36 games remaining, saying everyone's going to be playing a lot of hockey here the next couple of months. So consistency is big. If you can string some uh, wins together here and get hot, you're playing a lot of games. So for the teams that can do that, they'll get a big push. Uh, Edmonton's already been doing that, as we mentioned, with its uh, 16-game winning streak. Uh, the Avs aren't exactly blazing away, but they played in the games prior to the All-Star break some of their best hockey of the season and uh, picked up some easy wins and maybe got some of their top stars some rest. Uh, to me, the big question with the Avalanche, and you can certainly – uh, comment uh, in agreement or most likely disagreement at the caller text line at 303-831-1340. To me, the big question of the avalanche is can they get some help for Alexander Georgiev, who's had uh, an up-and-down season. In some statistical areas, he's been decent to pretty good, and because he's played so many games, he's number one in the NHL among goaltenders in total wins. But his goals against has not been great. His save percentage is below 900. And the quality starts out of 40, number only 18. The league average percentage among goaltenders for quality starts, which is similar to the baseball measurement for starting pitchers, is 53%. And... Alexander Georgiev is at 45%. A lot of that, in my opinion, is due to the number of games he has had to play and the fatigue that has set in, although he seems sharper in the games leading up to the All-Star break. So the big question to me about the Avalanche in, in finishing the last 33 games uh, and remaining in first place, as they are right now by a single point in the Central Division, is getting some help 
in other words, a backup goaltender, to play 10, 12 games from here on out so that Georgiev can go into the playoffs, relatively speaking, a lot fresher than he might be right now, although the uh, one-week-plus gap between the Avs' last game and a game tonight that's just beginning in New York at Madison Square Garden against the Rangers has uh, given him a chance to rest. He was involved in the All-Star festivities, but a lot of that is, uh, from a goaltending point of view, not terribly stressful. Uh, the way uh, the all-star festivities are conducted now in the National Hockey League. So he should be uh, fresh, and uh, assuming he plays tonight. And again, the Avalanche come right out of the all-star break with a back-to-back set tonight at Madison Square Garden and tomorrow uh, across the way in New Jersey against the Devils. And then they go to Carolina on the 8th, Florida against the Panthers on the 10th, Then they're at Washington and at Tampa Bay. And that is the final extended road trip of the season uh, for the Avalanche. And the sheer length of the trip, six games, makes it challenging. You'd like to come away uh, out of 12 possible points with, I would say, seven or eight of those 12 at least. And the form uh, of the, the teams the Avalanche are facing now well, the Rangers are 4-5-1, and one, although the Rangers are in first place in the Metro Division. Only 4-5-1 and one in the last 10 games. New Jersey, 3-6-1 in its last 10 games. Carolina's playing well, 7-2-1 in its last 10 games. Uh, Florida, 6-2-2 in its last 10 games. But Washington, only 4-5-1 in its last 10. Uh, Tampa Bay, 8-2. Uh, one of the hot teams in the league right now, in its last 10. Then the Avs are home on the 18th to Arizona. On the 20th, Vancouver comes in. They're back on the road in Detroit on the 22nd, and home to Toronto on the 24th. So seven of the next 10 Avalanche games are on the road, uh, where Colorado, frankly, has not been nearly as good as they've been in past years and not nearly as good as they've been at home this year. But out of these six games, you'd like to think that Georgiev would only have to play in four of the six. Uh, You'd rather not have him if he's playing tonight, and almost certainly he is. We'll tell you otherwise if uh, that turns out to be the case. The game has just started. If it's Georgiev tonight, you would think Prozvatov get another chance tomorrow night. Hasn't he been out since December? Boy, has he really been. I oh, yeah. I know coaches hate talking about doghouses in this day and age, but he has been uh, shelved, as it were, for for about six weeks now. Really? Uh, I, I think that's the case. Since they lost 8-4 to Florida, and he gave up the first four goals of that game, and actually, the technically speaking, the losing goaltender was Georgiev because after the fourth goal was scored, Georgiev replaced Prosvatov, and then the Avalanche came back and tied the game. So the goaltender of record became Georgiev, which probably was not a thrilling development as far as Georgiev was concerned, though he still leads the league in wins. And you got three games and four nights coming out of the All-Star break. Georgiev can't play in all three games. 
I wouldn't think. Like two of the three, but not all, all three of those uh, games coming up. So that's, a, a, to me, the big question with the Avalanche, who are flying offensively. We'll see how much of a lift they get from Parise and where Parise is situated, assuming he's in the lineup tonight. And talk a little bit here for a few minutes about Parise. Uh, interesting piece by Patrick Saunders in the Post today. Uh, because Parise was talking about uh, this past summer going into the fall, he hadn't gotten any offers, and he told Patrick Saunders, I was fully intending on being done playing. Then I got back, and you start seeing your buddies are leaving, training camps are starting. Then it was brought to my attention. Danny, I want to get your interpretation on this says, then it was brought to my attention that I would be allowed to train and then play for half a year. And it was kind of my wife who pushed me to do it. She said, you have a great opportunity. You might as well do it. I thought, I'm going to give this a shot. Doesn't that sound like the avalanche told him a few months ago? Here's the deal. We'll sign you for $825,000 to play after the All-Star break. We'll sign you right before the break. You train and you get into shape, but we're gonna we're gonna sign you. And we only need you for 30 games or so, a little more than 30 games, and presumably the playoffs. But it's not like we're asking you to play 45, 50, 60 games by bringing you in earlier in the season. And I'm not I, I'm sure there were some salary considerations that came into play along the way. And the avalanche can certainly afford the $825,000 that they will be playing, uh, paying Parise uh, to play for them for these uh, 33 regular season games plus playoffs. But he said, I skated a lot and trained a lot, just like I would in any off season, just knowing that I would be coming back halfway through the season, I knew I had to catch up quickly, so I did the best I could to get ready at home and be ready to step in. Doesn't that sound to you like the Avalanche told him back in the fall? That yeah, they wanted it seems to bring like that was in. the plan all along. So he is trained accordingly, knowing he will only have to play a certain number of games. And Saunders adds... Parise didn't provide specifics, but said he'd been in contact with the Avalanche for a while. So <laughs> I, I think if you're talking about coming back, and the only reason he got, he's not coming back to play for the San Jose Sharks, okay? He's not coming back to play for the Columbus Blue Jackets. He's not coming back to play for the Ottawa Senators. He's coming back to play for one of the top five teams in the NHL, clearly a team that has realistic Stanley Cup aspirations and has had them for several years now. So I, I, I think we've solved the mystery, although Parise wouldn't exactly confirm it. And uh, he said when he started skating, I guess he even started skating and he physically wasn't able to handle it the rigors of training, getting ready for the second half of the year or the last 33 games in the Avalanche case. Uh, said he felt great, felt good. 
And remember, this is a guy who, yes, is 39, but also in the last two years, each year played all 82 games for the New York Islanders and scored 21 goals last year, playing in all 82 games. Now, he isn't the player he was 10 years ago, but you don't think the Avalanche could, let's say, 21 games over an 82-game season, 21 goals over 82 games. What would 33 work out to? Five, six, seven, eight goals? Six to eight goals. If he gave them that, the the same rate of goal-scoring production he provided for the Islanders last year on a per-game basis, score six to eight goals, they could use that. Whether he's playing the second line, third line, or the fourth line. And he is a guy who plays the 200-foot game. Always has. Always been a responsible defensive player. He's coached that way by... His father, J.P., growing up, uh, he's played that way throughout his National Hockey League career. And Coach Jared Bednar said recently that Parise is in phenomenal shape. And he also said that the Avalanche's upcoming six-game, 12-day road trip will give Parise a chance to blend in with his new teammates. For Zach to be able to get around all of our guys 24-7 on a 12-day trip, I think that's beneficial, is uh, Jared Bednar's comment. And, uh, again, uh, Parise scored 21 goals for the Islanders last year, 69 points of the past two years combined. So uh, I think a very smart and uh, useful addition for the Colorado Avalanche. When we come back, we will take a closer look at Super Bowl 58 upcoming and a reminder that during the course of the week we'll be hearing from sean drotar periodically sean and the gang out in las vegas to cover super bowl 58 throughout the week for us right here on mile high sports Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Sandy Clough, Chandro Tar, Sean, of course, in Las Vegas, as we've been mentioning throughout the course of the program today so far. Danny Bailey is here, our outstanding executive producer. This is Mile High Sports Radio, 98.1 FM, 107.5 HD3. You can hear us at milehighsports.com slash listen. You can even watch us at milehighsports.com slash watch. We're also available via the Mile High Sports app. You can call or text us at 303-831-1340. And uh, we were talking at the top of the show about this uh, a little bit today, and we'll uh, go back and touch on it. Once again, uh, this is a rematch from four years ago when the 49ers met the Chiefs at the Super Bowl. And as I recall, Kansas City was favored in that game. And the, the team that was the surprising entry that year seemed to be the San Francisco 49ers. It was really the only full season in which Jimmy Garoppolo, at quarterback, remained healthy for the 49ers or really for, for anybody else or the 
Most other instances, he didn't have an opportunity to play. Uh, it wasn't just injuries that kept him out all the time, but at least with the 49ers, it had been. But uh, for 2019, he made his way through the entire season, but he was usually good that year for one or two bad throws every game. He limited his mistakes to some degree during the course of the playoffs. They get to the Super Bowl, and they're up by 10 points at 10 minutes to play, and they're thinking they might pull off the upset. 21 unanswered points later, the Chiefs had a 31-20 to 20 win. And Kyle Shanahan told Peter King of NBC Sports over the weekend, or actually last week when uh, he and King spent some time together, that the loss four years ago at Super Bowl 54 was much more painful than the loss that the Atlanta Falcons took at the hands of the New England Patriots, remember, uh, following the 2016 season, the Falcons and Patriots met uh, in what would have been Super Bowl 51. I think I have my Roman numerals right, Danny, on on that one. But you remember the Falcons were ahead 28 to three. Uh, Mike uh, uh, Shanahan, of course, had had uh, uh, Kyle as his offensive coordinator. Uh, so had Gary Kubiak prior to uh, Kyle's time with Mike, and then uh, Kyle. Uh, hooked up with Dan Quinn, the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, and got all the way to the Super Bowl. Offensive coordinator, they're up 28-3. to They're killing the Patriots. Late third quarter, they're up 28-3. to And they end up losing the game. Now, I was surprised to hear Kyle say that the loss as a head coach stung a little more than the loss even with a 28-3 to lead and you're coordinating the offense, even more so when you're the head coach, a loss stings more than it does when you're the coordinator. I mean, the head coach feels the heat. The L goes on the head coach's record. The head coach was in charge of a team that was up 28-3. to three. Um, There were some things that happened both offensively and defensively, but it, it, things that were probably outside uh, the control of, I mean, Tom Brady is, after all, uh, arguably the greatest quarterback who ever lived. Now, Patrick Mahomes may be making a run at him, but losing a lead to Tom Brady when you're the offensive coordinator, you don't have anything to do with Tom Brady in trying to defend him. I can see why that would not sting as much as losing at as the head coach to a team that was playing in the Super Bowl for the first time. Kansas City Chiefs were also Super Bowl newcomers, although... They were clear favorites at Super Bowl 54. That loss, when they were 10 points out with 10 minutes to play, didn't necessarily reflect entirely on Jimmy Garoppolo, although old friend Emmanuel Sanders was open for what would have been probably the decisive touchdown, and Garoppolo overthrew him. But the 49ers also pulled their horns in, so to speak, in the last 10 minutes of that game and relied on their defense, which, frankly, at that point was the strength of the team. Remember, they didn't have Trent Williams at that time. They didn't have Christian McCaffrey at that time. They did not have Brandon Ayuk at that time. They did have George Kittle, but they weren't nearly as explosive an offensive team as they were this past season. And they were reliant back then more on the defense and they held Mahomes off for about 50 minutes, really 
close to 53 minutes in that game. They held him off, but they couldn't get through the last seven minutes. Mahomes did what he was so often doing, especially back then, leading major come-from-behind efforts, and in this case, it gave Kansas City a Super Bowl. Now, the Chiefs went back to the Super Bowl the next year and got crushed by Tampa Bay, but San Francisco had not been able to get back. Kansas City won another one last year. San Francisco hadn't been able to get back. They're finally back again, and it's a different kind of team. It is a team that is more reliant on its offense than its defense, and even the Chiefs have flipped from a team that almost was entirely offensive dependent in 2019 to a team that is now winning at least as much and perhaps even more with its defense than it is with its offense. And that was in evidence in both playoff games. They won this year on the road and on the road in the playoffs, at least with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback is something Kansas city chiefs had never experienced before this year. And when you're on the road, you usually have to win with defense. Defense usually travels a little better than offense does. And the weather in places like Buffalo and Baltimore is not going to be conducive to aerial shows. You're going to have to be a little bit grittier. You're going to have to be stronger defensively. And in fact, in both games, though Mahomes was brilliant in both, Kelsey was his old self, not an old Travis Kelsey, but the old Travis Kelsey in both those playoff games. It was the defense that stood out for the Kansas City Chiefs. So a bit of a role reversal from four years ago where the 49ers defense was charged with stopping the Kansas City offense, and that was a big part of the narrative going into the game. And in fact, it's basically the way the game played out. San Francisco did as well as you could do defensively against Mahomes for more than five-sixths of that game and still lost the game. When the Chiefs came back in the last seven minutes of the game, with 21 points to win 31 to 20. And in this game now, it's going to be as the main feature of the game, the Kansas City defense trying to stop a 49er offense that has all those guys that they didn't have four years ago. And in fact, if you look back at prior Super Bowls, and in really trying to come up with a comparison between this 49er offense and another Super Bowl team or Super Bowl championship team, remember the greatest show on turf? Now, I don't know that Brock Purdy is exactly Kurt Warner, but his receivers are very much comparable to Kurt Warner's receivers. And wouldn't you say, Danny, you'd shake your head in assent or disagreement on this, that when I look at Christian McCaffrey and Marshall Falk, I see the same class of player, right? 
Falk was a great receiver yeah. coming out of the backfield. Absolutely. Good ball carrier. Had some of the same traits that Christian McCaffrey displays today. But, you know, I, I do think the X factor player on this game might be on a Kansas City offense, not on the Kansas City defense, and not even on the San Francisco offense, because you know they're stars. And you, you've got to account for the McCaffreys and the Iukes and the Debo Samuels and the George Kittles. Every, everybody knows that. And maybe you can't stop them all, but you, you've, you've got to keep one, and certainly no more than one. You got to keep at least one and probably two, maybe even three from wrecking the game. At least you know that all four are going to be productive up to a point. But the guy who in the most recent regular season game between the Chiefs and the 49ers who stood out was Pacheco, the Kansas City running back, and I think he's the X-factor guy uh, in this game that allows the Chiefs to play a kind of game that would have been inconceivable four years ago. A gritty game. Hold on to the ball. Possess the ball. Get the lead, as they did certainly in the championship game with Baltimore. Not as much against Buffalo. Buffalo seemed to have control of that game and was even or ahead for, for a major portion of that game. But the Baltimore game, that's the blueprint now for the Kansas City Chiefs. Get ahead early, maybe by more than one score, and just hang on for dear life. But you've got Pacheco now, who even when teams know that he's getting the ball, he's developed into a workhorse back, though he's somewhat slight in stature. He's been a workhorse back for the Kansas City Chiefs. And he was pretty good in the Super Bowl last year, as I recall. And I think he's an underrated part of what may determine the outcome of this game. And and San Francisco's ability, and remember, neither of these teams were great statistically against the run this year, especially San Francisco, because they didn't have to face opposing rushing attacks very often this year. This didn't come up against that. They were ahead all the time. And that was pointed out going into the playoffs. 49ers haven't had to come back in the fourth quarter to win many games. Well, they had to do it twice against Green Bay. And in the championship game as well against Detroit. And they did it both times. But the Chiefs, certainly against Baltimore, were able to get ahead and run the ball. And in their last nine possessions, they only had 10 first downs. They only scored three points. But they had it enough to keep Baltimore from getting a foothold, and the Kansas City defense was tremendous. So so we'll see if it gets reported out kind of that way this week that the most dangerous of the two offensive teams is perhaps a team with Mr. Irrelevant starting in quarterback and Brock Purdy as opposed to Patrick Mahomes well, if he wins a third Super Bowl, we'll be on the same track as Tom Brady was on, or a very similar one, 
and that's a track toward becoming perhaps the greatest quarterback of all time. We'll wrap up with a few remaining thoughts, and we welcome yours as well on the text line and on the phone, 303-831-1340. Sandy Clef with you. This is Mile High Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough, Chandro Tar. Sean, of course, in Las Vegas this week. Cover Super Bowl 58. We'll hear more from Sean later on in the week. The commissioner is speaking today. In an invitation-only press conference, I have never heard, actually, of an invitation-only press conference, Danny Bailey, have you? I have not. Invitation-only press conference. First time for everything. First time for everything. Um, There was a time when the commissioner spoke on Friday of Super Bowl week. Then it got changed a few years ago to Wednesday. And now it's invitation-only, and it's on Monday where it's likely to be overshadowed and covered less than the teams tonight are covered as they gather at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas to meet with the media. But enough of that. Here's another question for you, Danny. I did not know this. Were you aware that uh, Deion Sanders is a professor as well as uh, the head football coach at the University of Colorado? I was not aware. You were not aware of that. Okay. Well, then I assume that most of you listening were not aware either that Sanders taught his first class this semester at the University of Colorado. And the class was called Primetime, or is, Primetime Public Performance and Leadership. And, of course, all this is documented on YouTube by Deion Sanders, Jr. And what was interesting to me was some of what he said about roster building. And, Danny, you may remember this, that that when he came on, he talked about 40-40-20. graduate transfers, 40% transfers, and 20% incoming recruits set to be freshmen. I was reminded of this over the weekend when out at Magnus Arena, DU was playing Western Michigan. And on Saturday night, Western Michigan dressed out, get this, Danny, 13 graduate students and seniors. Only three juniors, two softs, and four freshmen. That was their lineup. 13 graduate students and seniors. Sound like CU? Kind of the hockey, the college hockey version? A little bit, yep. Of CU, right? 
DU dressed two seniors, seven juniors, six sophomores, and seven freshmen. DU won Friday night. Guess who won on Saturday night? Seven to two, Western Michigan. And a friend of mine who attended the game said it was like watching men among boys. And the best DU players, people like Massimo Rizzo, who's a wonderful player for Denver, and I believe still the leading point producer in the country. And Zee Bulliam, the freshman who just turned 18, who was on the world junior team that recently won the gold medal in the world junior championships. And he said, they, they really couldn't get anything going against all that size, certain amount of speed, but a whole lot of experience. And then I was reading about what Deion Sanders said about recruiting not high school kids who will become freshmen, but sophomores. He'd rather have the sophomores bring them in. Here's what he said. And be mindful of the fact that his recruiting class for 2024 includes only six freshmen. That's it. And nearly 25 transfer players. Here's what he said. Here's what he told the students. When you inherited a roster, like we inherited a roster, and he's talking about last year, you can't deal with high school kids that much because it takes them probably a couple of years to develop. And you'll be fired in a couple of years. You don't have that kind of time. And, of course, Sanders has developed the reputation, has he not, as king of the transfer portal, bringing in 47 scholarship players from other institutions, from other four-year colleges last year. Only a few freshmen played last year for Colorado, 2023. Lost finished 4-8. and eight. And, of course, Sanders says, you know what? If the freshmen don't play right away, then they get into the portal and they'll go somewhere else. So I'd rather take sophomores who understand the bus stops, understand what time class starts, don't have to worry about them introducing themselves to the collegiate game because if you load up your roster with a bunch of freshmen, you're in for a heck of a season. And he didn't mean in a positive way, it's not going to be good, said Coach Sanders. And when you have a pro kind of quarterback, obviously referring to Sun Shadur, you can't give him youngsters to work with. It's going to be chaotic. Sanders almost sounds a little bit like John Calipari, the college basketball coach at Kentucky, who seems to talk a fair amount about how many players on his team, which got crushed last week, well, not crushed by Florida. That was an overtime loss, but it was at home. Got crushed by Tennessee. Gave up more than 100 points, got crushed by 
Tennessee on Saturday night. But Cal Perry said, well, hey, we're going to have seven draft picks off this team. Yeah, but you're going to be a five or six seed when the tournament begins because they don't play any defense. But here's Sanders talking about how many NFL scouts will be visiting Boulder this year and said that Shadur and Travis Hunter might be the top two overall picks in the draft next year. I'm not sure about that, but I think they'll both be first-round picks. I don't think he's exaggerating on there being first-round picks. Whether they'll be first and second overall, I think that might be more wishful. That's thinking. a little ambitious. That's that's a little bit ambitious. A little bit aspirational. Every NFL scout is coming. But they're not just going to come for that because I want them to see the smorgasbord of players who we have and the operation that we have. And there's a social branding seminar that he's, he's conducting. So, uh, yes, he taught his first class at the University of Colorado. It started last week. And I said that for all intents and purposes, that did good for him. Good for him. I don't know that uh, his brand of leadership works for everyone, but good for him to get get into the classroom. Certainly wasn't required. Doubt it was required contractually that he do that. But I thought that was interesting. And I also thought watching, <laughs> or at least my friend watching it, uh, college hockey game Saturday night involving DU and Western Michigan, 13 graduate transfers and seniors dressing out for Western Michigan for that game on Saturday night. I, I don't think I've ever seen that before on any team in college hockey. But it's a brave new world, and it isn't just football. And it's not just football and basketball either. It's football, basketball, and, yes, college hockey. DU takes the more traditional route. DU recruited and has played at one time or another this year as many as 10 freshmen. Very, very different, the two philosophies. And right now, I believe, according to the standings, those two teams would meet in the first round of the National Collegiate Hockey Conference playoffs. Uh, DU's in fourth place, and Western Michigan's fifth in the 18 NCHC. So uh, you may get a chance to see Western Michigan again, or DU may have to go to Western Michigan. CC's in the mix, too, right now. I believe CC is a point ahead of DU in the NCHC standing. So we'll see how uh, that develops. You've got a quick text that we can get to uh, here, Danny, I believe. I do. Uh, fully agreed on Pacheco being an X factor, yeah. maybe by necessity. Only thing Mahomes isn't great at is turning basic wide receivers into stars like Manning did. And that's from Cuban Benny. So wow. thanks for the text. Very good text, as always, from Cuban Benny. That That's a good observation, although... I think the emergence of Rice in recent weeks has been notable. Um, but uh, Cuban Benny is right. Rice is not yet a star. Uh, Pacheco is considerably more established 
than Rice. And Pacheco was good in the game last year. Rice, obviously a rookie this year, did not play in Super Bowl 57 a year ago. We have four more days left as we uh, set you up for Super Sunday. Uh, We'll hear from Sean Rotar as we move along during the course of the week. And uh, we will uh, catch up and keep up with the Avs, who are playing tonight at Madison Square Garden against the Rangers, coming out of the All-Star break. And uh, the Nuggets later this week back in action out in Los Angeles against the Lakers in uh, what I believe will be a national TV affair. Uh, Which is interesting now because the Lakers are coming off two big road wins in Boston and in New York. Over the weekend, the Lakers were at Madison Square Garden beating the Knicks yesterday, uh, much as uh, the Avs are in the Garden tonight playing against the Rangers. See you tomorrow at 4. Our thanks to uh, Danny Bailey and to all of you for listening, texting, and uh, the like. We'll see you in 22 hours right back here on Mile High Sports.